Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 14, Touchstone. Another one that I completely forgot. <laughs> this one I did remember. Like, not totally everything, but because this is the sort of the whole NID plot line, really. So. True. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did not remember at all how how this was introduced. So I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, they're getting into that now. All right, yeah. got it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, but before we get into the episode proper, we have some news, which is not great news, unfortunately. Um, Stargate SG One is leaving Netflix at the end of November. So it it is currently November fifteenth as we're recording. So there are thirty uh, days has September, April, June, and November. Fifteen more days. We're, for us to be able to watch SG-1 on Netflix, and then it will be gone from all streaming services as that are available. Uh, no, it is it is gone from every streaming service. It was it was on Hulu for a while, then it left Hulu, and then it you know popped up on Netflix at the end of last year, and now it is leaving Netflix. Although Atlantis is still apparently on Hulu for an unspecified Ooh. amount of time. Um, well, so I mean that, that one there. is Jason Momoa. Yeah, that's true. He's um, always a good draw. That he is. So, but basically that's all to say, if you're watching along with us on Netflix, um, you, you won't be able to anymore. <laughs> um, no. So break out those DVDs, or if you don't have the DVDs, go visit your local library. Libraries are great resources for things like this. My pure speculation on this thing is about you know why it's leaving Netflix is because of the whole Amazon purchasing MGM earlier this year so I'm guessing Amazon is just not renewing streaming rights at the moment and at some point SG1 will pop back up on Amazon it was on Amazon for a while a couple of years ago so maybe we should yeah. write to Amazon and be like we're doing this podcast <laughs> can you please get it so up can like you- ASAP can you post it for like the whole four people that listen? Because that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> appreciate it. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, I really think Jeff Bezos is going to listen to us. Never know. Maybe he's a closet Stargate fan too. You don't know. Maybe that's why he bought MGM. He, <laughs> and did, build a, space. He, did, he did build a spaceship. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that looked like a giant dick. But that's not why we're here. Uh, I, really, I would have loved to be in that meeting where someone was like, you know, what that looks like, right? And just see his response. If he's just kind of like, yes, yes, I know. Or if he's like, nah, it's not, whatever. Nobody will care. Because <laughs> I, I feel like he would have been the kind of guy that's like, yes, yes, it is. Or just is completely oblivious and just doesn't see it somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Really? You don't see it? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so Stargate's leaving Netflix. Please find it somewhere else to watch and keep listening to us and watch along as we go through these. Because we appreciate each and every one of you people out there that are listening to us. Because we're still small. Hopefully we'll get bigger one day. And if you haven't seen the episodes at all and you're just experiencing them anyway from us telling them to you, oh, I mean, that just sounds interesting in itself. So <laughs> I would love to hear about that. Hey, yeah, somebody listening to this that has never seen the show and is observing the show <laughs> purely through our commentary probably has a very different view of the show. <laughs> 
That would be an interesting concept, though. Hearing somebody tell you about it and then watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Does it make sense? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Be a fun experiment. Yes. (laughs) Oh, so. All right. So that's the news. Hopefully we'll have more news soon about where it's going. Because that would be good to know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. All that good stuff. Woo! All right. But for today, again, talking about Touchstone. So this episode originally aired on October 30th, 1998. It was written by Sam Egan and directed by Brad Turner. In this episode, a climate-controlling device is stolen from the planet Madrona, and the SG-1 team is accused of the theft. Whoever took the device has the ability to disrupt Earth's climate. With Madrona racked by storms, SG-1 find a second Stargate active on Earth, and the team's investigations take them to Area 51, the NID, and Colonel Mayborn. So, I have a fun fact just based on the summary. Thought I'd get it out of the way. Fun fact! uh, yes, so you know, I like to research into the names of stuff to see if they're real things. So, Madrona did not throw up the red squiggly spell check of doom in Word. So, I was like, well, mm-hmm. so what's Madrona? So, Madrona is the name of an island in the Johnstone Strait off the coast of British Columbia. It's also a very good wine. Is it? No? Okay, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't it know. sounds like it would be a really delicious wine. I don't drink wine. Maybe it is. Maybe you can Google that while I give you the little rest of my fun fact. So so the <laughs> name, the name Madrona comes from the Spanish language word madroño, which refers to uh, a species of evergreen trees of the genus Arbutus of the Heath family. And the Pacific Arbutus is common throughout the south coast of British Columbia. So it is both it is the name of an island that I'm guessing was named for the type of tree that grows on that island. So there you go. So in the briefing room, we learn that it has been five weeks since SG-1's first visit to Madrona, and they've made a shocking discovery. The Madronans can basically just call up whatever weather it is that they need via a device that they call the Touchstone by turning like a series of rings that are on the device in like a specific way. The, The priest can make the weather do whatever it is they need it to do. You need rain, here's rain. You need sun, here's sun. That's very cool. That'd so be the great. Thing, it, it took them five weeks to figure that out? I think it took them five weeks to confirm it was the device itself not doing it, not like something else from like off planet or something. I don't know. But it seemed a little, yeah, it was a little like, didn't they like show you that? So why? <laughs> and yeah. how 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 were they analyzing it with them not having it? How, how have they been studying it for five weeks without having it? Is the other question really? That is a very good question. And <laughs> considering the fact that like the gate is maybe like a hundred feet from the touchstone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they would have missed it of like, oh, what's that thing in the giant? statue's hand unless that's very interesting yeah unless like they've been going back and forth over the last five weeks but then that doesn't really work with what happens in a little bit i mean it really isn't anything that you particularly notice when you visit a planet unless you go oh my this is lovely weather i don't it isn't really a common thing to notice of 
unless the, the weather, unless they observed the weather suddenly changing when necessary. Yeah. But yeah, just if it's like a hundred feet from the gate, you'd think at some yeah. point they would have been like, my, what is that lovely piece of art? Yeah. Oh, it controls our weather. The what now? <laughs> yeah. So the device, though, was probably left by whatever alien race first terraformed the planet like 900 years ago, I think they said. So Sam wants to go back with some of her doohickeys to get some more readings to figure out how it works. And uh, yes, doohickey is a technical term. Um, Hammond asks if like, can, could we borrow it? And they're like, no, this thing like literally controls the weather completely on the planet. We can't take it away or otherwise bad things will happen. So, all right, fine. But they have their go to head back to Madrona to study the touchstone more thoroughly. So SG-1 head back to the planet. And when they get there, there's like a massive thunderstorm happening. And after greeting the locals, uh, SG-1 are accused of stealing the touchstone. What? What? Apparently, some of the Madronans saw people dressed like SG-1 take the device in the middle of the night and then leave by the Stargate, which they don't use. Um, and then I, this next thing I don't really get. So Jack's like, maybe it should have been under guard. And they're like, it was, but we lightened it because we trust you. Doesn't, that doesn't don't, make any sense. I, I was like, but SG-1's not like living there. So what does lightening the guard have to do with trusting SG-1? I I didn't really understand that, except as a way to explain the fact that there was no guard, I guess. Well, maybe they only have it under guard when they have visitors. I mean, possibly. Except if they trust SG-1, that means they shouldn't. Did they? Do, do you remember them saying that, like whether or not they talked to those people or something? No, they like saw them from afar. Like they snuck into the thing and left, and there was no interaction. Okay, so they would have had to observe. Oh, SG one is coming. They're oh, cool. We don't have leaving. guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. The whole situation's weird. Yeah, I don't get the whole guard situation. But anyway, so. They want to keep SG-1 as prisoners because they think SG-1 stole it, but they do manage to convince Roham and Princess Lamore to let them go so that they can go back to Earth and figure out who the actual thieves are. And then we cut to the opening credits. Shocking opener. SG-1 uh, accused of bad stuff. And now we got to figure out who done it. It's a who done it episode of SG-1. The butler, the butler did it. <laughs> In the kitchen with the candlestick. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yep. So back in the gate room, Hammond questions SG-1's very early return, since, you know, they were supposed to be there for a while to study the thing. And Jack's like, we kind of, can we go talk in your office? Because we got stuff. Something's happening. So Jack then questions if anyone could, like, get through the gate without Hammond knowing about it. And the answer is straight up no. If anyone, like, sneezes near the gate, Hammond knows about it. So, thing is missing, nobody from the SGC went through the gate to get it. So, where do these people come from? And Jack asks Hammond to let Sam, like, look through the dialing computer to see if there's any anomalies, which Hammond does eventually allow. So I find this whole conversation so, so interesting in how the actors play the scene. The subtext is just, like, magical because you could tell that Jack is, like, 
very delicately asking without asking, like, is there some shady shit going on that you cannot tell me and that you just want to, like, blink twice and (laughs) let me know? Yeah. And you really actually can't tell. Like, Hammond is keeping it very close to the vest. The way the way yeah. the way that scene is played, I really like couldn't tell if he was not telling because he was not telling or not telling because he really didn't think anything was wrong. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. interesting. Yes. Yeah. And I think too it helps that if you like if you look through if you really pay attention to it, that conversation is about like three times longer than it really needs to be because they keep kind of sort of asking different questions or like the same question in a slightly different way kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Like this, this should have been like five sentences and it's done, but it's like several minutes of them in Hammond's yeah. office, which yeah. Is and I think nice. it's also an interesting conversation to have because of the past few episodes that they've started to incorporate you know, the the typical, like, evil government with its own agenda playing everybody like pawns to get at what they want type of thing. Yeah. Making like, it very possible for this sort of thing to actually go on. Yes, very much. This is where we really start getting into, like, actually, like, a series-long arc in the show, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this is a thing that keeps sort of recurring season after season, kind of a thing which is always interesting when shows are able to weave these sort of b stories in to sort of the main plot over multiple seasons mm-hmm. agreed yeah so sometime later sam's still going through the data but hasn't found anything about any kind of unauthorized use of the gate uh but daniel and tilk point out to jack that there's suddenly some like really weird weather happening all over the u.s there's like flooding and like massive rainfall and deserts and huge hail and just bad things everywhere and sam daniel and tilk all believe that really this means that the touchstone is on earth but jack doesn't for some reason jack's like i don't know i was like "Mm, really Mm." Um, really because that yeah so sam then speaks up and is like okay so there hasn't been any unauthorized use of the gate but there was this really weird energy spike three days ago when SG-2 came back from their mission. So SG-2 took the the touchstone? No. But what happened was somebody used the timing of SG-2's return to come back through the second gate. Because since the main gate was busy, if you dialed in and the second gate is hooked up, it shoves you to the second gate. Okay. Well, who did that? We don't know that. Okay, but it was like decommissioned, right? Officially, it was. So. Shifty eyed side looks at each other. Yes. So Jack goes to tell Hammond about what Sam has found about the second gate, and Hammond is rightfully quite surprised. Uh, he's also attempting to get the president on the phone, but he's like never available when Hammond is calling him today. And we get the fantastic line of Hammond going, son, do you know what color this phone is? <laughs> Which I, I love when Hammond gets to do that kind of stuff. Cause he's just so like, you know, grandpa and we love him and he's great. But yeah, when he really gets to like pull that general card, it's awesome. It's nice. And Yeah. And basically, it seems like someone is doing their best to keep Hammond and the president from talking. And Jack's like, 
do, do you know who that person might be? And Hammond's like, not specifically. And here's something I haven't told you until now, but apparently back when the SGC was first getting started, there were some people that felt like any and all technologies discovered should be brought back to Earth, regardless of what that would mean to whatever planet it came from. Now, he's not quite comfortable saying that that is exactly what's happened here, but he has some markers to call in to check and see if that is what's happening here. And unfortunately, yeah. that would totally make sense. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so in the briefing room then, Sam has been working on trying to figure out where the touchstone is, if it is indeed on Earth. And after a lot of techno babble, she tells everyone that the touchstone is in the Nevada desert. And Hammond and Jack are both like, Nevada, you say? And uh, oh, so conveniently, that's just where the second gate ended up, isn't it? Yep, at, at Nellis Air Force Base. And hey, guess who just got themselves reassigned? Everybody's Rise! favorite asshole, Colonel Mayborn! Surprise! Surprise. Oh, fantastic. And so the, the Nevada facility where all the stuff goes that SG-1 brings back, that's Area 51. Also, <gasps> FYI. Aliens! Yes. Would you like to know some stuff about Nellis Air Force Base? I would love to know some stuff about Nellis Air Force Base. Okay, so Nellis was founded in 1947 and was originally called the Las Vegas Army Airfield. It was renamed... When the crash happened, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was renamed to Nellis on April 30th, 1950, after William Harrell Nellis. Uh, he was a fighter pilot who flew over 70 missions and was shot down three times, the last one being fatally. And Aww. that happened on December 27th, 1944, as he was strafing a German convoy in Luxembourg during the Battle of the Bulge. He was unfortunately too low to bail out and ended up crashing near Winsler. Winsler? Winsler? W-I-N-S-E-L-E-R. Winsler? Winsler? Um, his remains, though, weren't recovered until the following April. So, like, four months. Um, he was then buried at the Henri Chapelle American Cemetery and Memorial near Liège, Belgium. So, oh, okay. and then, uh, yeah, Nellis was then named after him. So, hmm. he'd like a cool guy. What would you like named after yourself? Oh, that's good question. Um, a state fair. That would be so cool. Yes. What about you? Oh, man. I don't even know. Maybe... Maybe a park. Just a park? Anything mm, cool in the park? That is kind of generic, though, isn't it? Mm, there must be something cool in the park. Okay. I actually need to think about this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Shall I continue while you ponder? Mm, yes. No. You know what? What? I want a movie theater. Okay. But, like, one that actually survives and doesn't get torn down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I am actually really, really surprised that within the past few years, drive-in movie theaters did not make a serious comeback. Yeah, there's been a few here and there, but yeah, not nearly. But they're like pop-ups. Yeah. I'm talking about old school, yeah. bring it back 100%. I like, know, yeah. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. I really should, but yeah. I mean, especially here in the Midwest, that's a hard thing to do in like, you know, winter and stuff. So. I mean, no, not if you're in your car. 
but you have to like open the window for the speaker and everything. And well, since well, and it, since it's winter, you'd have to leave the car running for heat. You can't just like have the auxiliary on, and that's not good for the environment. I true. Well, at least some sort of seasonal thing, though. I mean, with COVID and the fact that nobody was going to the theater forever, I'm just really surprised yeah. that they didn't bring that on back. But I mean, like for the speaker and stuff, they used to just play it across a radio station. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did do that now. Okay. Anyway, yes, very surprised. Drive-ins mm-hmm. aren't more prevalent again. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so where were we? Oh, we know it. We know it's in Nevada, most likely at Nellis. So no drive-ins. No drive-ins. Uh, just a flyby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. Hey, but don't change. So down in the control room, SG-1 is standing around a monitor showing footage of a map that they sent back to Madrona. And it's just, it's a blizzard. And there's like 80 mile an hour winds or something. It's just, it's horrible what's happening there. And they have maybe 72 hours at most before the planet is just going to be a lost cause. And like the terraforming is going to be completely undone. So permission to visit Nevada, sir. Which why Why in the world... Why are they asking that here rather than at the end of the last scene when they found out that it's at Nellis? Like, also, why, did why they... didn't they evacuate the poor people in the snowstorm? I know, <laughs> or like they could fix it. Yeah, like I know they said they don't use it, but hi, I think you know there's some shit happening here that would probably be good if you were not here during it. Yeah, send why them don't... to the land of light for all you know. Yeah. That they take <laughs> everybody. Send them to the land of light for a couple days. Let us fix it, and then you can go back. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. But, um, yeah. But then, yeah, why, like, the two, three-hour delay or whatever between the last scene and this scene and asking to go to Nevada? Like, why? I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, Hammond says he'll call ahead to get them cleared. And Jack's like, uh, may- maybe, maybe not, since, you know, we don't really know who we can trust in this situation. And Sam's like, and we have, you know, all the clearance that we need to get in there. I was like, okay, well, in that case, I have some very, very, very important documents that need to be hand-delivered to the Groom Lake facility. And yes, they are important enough to warrant a three-man team with a Jaffa for backup. You know what I love about that scene, too, is they close it out with a shot of Teal'c, like, with a knowing expression on his face, like, I know exactly what's going on right now (laughs) with the inner workings of Earth politics. Yes. (laughs) I love uh, how he's the closing. Ah, yes, I completely understand what's happening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, if you noticed, Hammond referred to Nellis as the Groom Lake facility. Mm-hmm. So, Groom Lake is a. <gasps> Tell me about Groom Lake. So, it's a dry lake bed, which is also it's also sometimes called like a salt flat. Those things mm-hmm. that is used as a runway for Nellis Air Base. So apparently. Ah. It's referred to as both things. So Nellis Air Base, Groom Lake Facility, same thing. Yay. All right. So we then cut to SG-1 arriving at Area 51 in a really cool suburban where they are met by Major Reynolds of the NID, played by Eric Brecker. And please check him off your Vancouver Actors Bingo list. And what does NID stand for? Officially in canon, nothing. It has never been stated in canon what NID stands for. So we get to make it up? 
Yes, we get to make it up. I think we talked about this before when we first met Mayborn. Oh. In season one. See how much I remember things. This is why rewatching these is so fascinating. I don't even remember <laughs> things that we have uh, already watched twice. I think the most sort of common like fan in there is like National Intelligence Division or Department, something like that. Mm. But officially in canon in the show, NID is never given its wording. It's always just the NID. So okay, so we can go with like National Intelligence Deficit. <laughs> I mean, deficit would be good considering all the money they probably spend. So, mm-hmm. so Major Reynolds is very honored to meet SG-1, who are kind of like legends around there. And after all, without everything like SG-1 and all the other teams do, like they wouldn't exist and they wouldn't have a job. So it's like, it's really cool for him to meet them. And I was like, he did kind of look like like a kid getting like meet his like hero a little bit. Like he's got a big smile on his face. It's like, it's so cool that you're here. Uh, which, he did. Yeah. And then we get a little tour of the facility as Major Reynolds takes them to see Mayborn. And we learn that current Area 51 research projects include a possible cure for Alzheimer's that was discovered by SG-5. Uh, Continuing to work on Daniel's notes on Heliopolis, the meaning of life stuff. Very cool, he says. Um, And they also have the two Gould death gliders that SG-1 escaped from Apophis' ships in which seems to bring back some very bad memories for them as the close-ups of their faces seem to explain. That was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but there are no alien life forms at Area 51 except for Tilk. So. <laughs> I love how they had to make that joke. They had to. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Um, so they they end up the tour in some sort of like lab looking thing and Mayborn finally shows up and dismisses Major Reynolds. Mayborn is glad to see Tilk looking so well and then Tilk responds with possibly one of the greatest comebacks of all time where he goes in my culture I would be well within my rights to dismember you (laughs) please do so Tilk we would all appreciate it Hmm. (laughs) yeah um but I kind of love here that they just they just cut right to it and Jack's like so can we have the touchstone please and Mayborn like of course you know denies having it and Sam's like oh so maybe you call it like the weather device from Madrona and Mayborn says like I really have no idea what you're talking about so Daniel's like so second gate active again and it's Daniel's like all the way on the other side of the lab for some reason he's looking at the toys I know well there there might be a reason (laughs) um so during the filming of this episode, Michael Shanks' daughter was born. Oh, so he was like filmed at a completely different time? Possibly. Because if you notice, oh. like there's this shot of like Jack and Sam and like Tilk is like standing behind Mayborn. So when we're on Mayborn, we get Tilk back there and Daniel's always by himself, like on the other side of the room. So I'm wondering if that's why, because oh, yeah. Michael had a baby. So Aww. yes. Um, so... Anyway, so yeah, so Daniel asked about the second gate, and again, Mayborn's like, I really have no idea what to talk about. The gate has been locked in a crate since it got here. And Sam's like, great, so we can go look at it, right? I guess so. Sure. Yes. And then Mayborn turns to leave, and like, Tilka's in, like, right behind him, and Mayborn does a, oh, kind of like, oh, crap, kind of thing, and Mm -hmm. like, has to, like, walk around Tilk, and she's like, bravo, bravo, Tilk. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the team is then taken to a large, uh, look, it looks like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where they keep airplane hangar. looks like a, like an airplane hangar type Mm -hmm. sized room. 
Um, and it's got like that rolling up door to, to it. Um, and there's just a large grate in the middle of it. So they open it and there's the gate. So great. See, there's the gate. Everything's fine. It's been locked in this grate. It's all good. Um, except this gate is plastic. Oh, it would have so, been. You know what's awesome about that too is somebody had to have made a big plastic fake gate. Who, like, who did that? How did they? Did, did they like take a mold of the real Stargate and then like do like you know pour plastic into it and then somebody had to like paint it? Like, yeah, uh, like that's the whole thing that somebody had to make and then put it in the crate and then be yeah. like, they'll never know. Yes. Except the then double funny thing is. That's probably the real Stargate. That's like on the show. This is the thing. Because the real thing on the show, the real prop is plastic. So yeah. It's like, it's not, but it is, but it, ah, no. Um, they probably just packed it up for that scene, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they just made, you know, one like quarter of it because we only see a little bit of it. But yeah. No, funny. <laughs> Took part of it off, but still, yeah, I found it amusing. Mm-hmm. Um. Mayborn seems completely shocked and surprised to hear that the gate is plastic. And he's like, so where's the gate? And he's like, well, obviously it's been moved. Oh, so somebody can use it where like nobody can see what's going on. And somehow, I don't know what happens, but Mayborn just does a twist when I think Jack says that. And he's immediately on the defense and seems to drop all pretense at not knowing that this gate was fake. And basically tells SG-1 without telling SG-1 that the gate was moved on the authorization of somebody. Okay, cool. Who? And, well, apparently SG-1 doesn't have the clearance. But they have the highest clearance. So, yes, we do. Well, you have the highest military clearance. So, you're saying this is a civilian operation? And Mayborn's calls the guards like have SG-1 escorted back out to their car and advises Jack to drop it. And Jack just goes, drop it? Like, uh, no, you want, no. But they do leave. So there's two interesting things about that is like, he does really drop the pretense really quickly. But the other thing too is if he was going to do that, why would someone go through the trouble of making a fake gate? Yeah, to like so, fool them with. Why wouldn't he just be like, no, you can't see it. It's under lock and key. No one can go there. I don't yeah. Know. Or is it that once Mayborn knows it's plastic too, he then is able to connect the dots and be like, so somebody took it. If I'm in charge of this facility and I don't know that this is fake, then somebody even higher than me had to authorize the actual real second Stargate's move out of this facility. And so just then goes into, you know, protect mode or something rather than I am an idiot and know nothing, just goes into sort of self-preservation of, yeah, I do know what's happening here. And Oh, you think he was bluffing? Kind of. Maybe. Possibly. Like... Mm -hmm. Like, Mayborn's not an idiot. Not really. He's an asshole, but he's really, he's, he's a colonel in the Air Force. You can't be an idiot and get to the rank that he's at, you know, really. Jack may call him an idiot, but that's because really he's an asshole, but you can't say asshole on a, a family TV show. Um, so I just, I, I wonder if he's connecting the same dots that SG-1 is connecting, but because of 
you know, the job he's basically been assigned to, he has to fake basically like he knows what's going on. Otherwise he looks like a real actual idiot, which he can't have. Cause then he will lose all respect of everybody, not just at G1, but like everybody. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm not, how did they not know it was fake? Like, the other one obviously had to have been more heavy. Yeah. And so did they move it in the dead of night? Like, yeah. How, how, how do you so requisition many questions. moving? Yeah. So many questions. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So we're back in the briefing room at the SGC and nobody's happy. Like, what the hell's going on? This whole thing is a mess. There may be a, a little bit of good news in that it appears the, at least the touchstone is no longer being used. So, like, the weather's fine now, which is good. And Sam does have an idea of how we can find where the second gate is. Basically, she wants to go to Madrona, then come back through the second gate by recreating the conditions that would make the wormhole jump, which is like overloading the gate. And Hammond's like, that's super dangerous. Like, you barely survived the last time you did that. What, you want to do it on purpose now? And so Daniel suggests using a MALP, which that's a great idea because MALPs have GPS. So that would get us, you know, the exact location of where it goes. But somebody still needs to, like, go with the MALP to, like, get everything set up and ready. And that obviously is going to be Jack. And then Daniel's like, I'm going to go too. So, um. What, my question is, why do they have to go to Madrona specifically? <laughs> if they know the weather sucks and the people on Madrona don't like them, go somewhere else. Like, it's not the trip from Madrona to Earth. It's just overloading the gate in general. You could come and do that from anywhere, really. That's a really good point. I don't like, yeah. go to Samaria, you know, I don't know. But, because, yeah, you know there's a blizzard. You know they hate you. Why? Why do you want to go there? But... I guess just to keep with the show and Madrona, Madrona, Madrona. So, yeah, I'll allow it, I guess. So Jack and Daniel head back to Madrona, which is still in the middle of that massive blizzard. And they have like this box with them that I guess has the necessary equipment in it. And like, but couldn't they have also like brought like some blankets or something for the Madronans? Because they seem to live in a fairly like temperate slash like Mediterranean type climate based on their dress. Like... These people don't seem equipped to handle blizzards on a regular basis. No, they should have evacuated them. And yeah. I love how they, with those scenes, they always, like, have the, you know, whole Madrona population of, like, the five people that talk to them come out together at the same time every yeah. time. Yeah. So Ashley One shows up and, like, they all, it's like they're waiting for them. Yeah. <laughs> Then they come out like, have you brought it back yet? But it's like, you know, the entourage of eight all together. I always find that funny. Yeah. Um, And then we do get an interesting scene, like, back in the, there's a sort of a quick cut back to the control room where, like, Sam confirms that they've arrived and Hammond goes, here we are transporting our people across the galaxy to find something we've lost in our own backyard. That is really funny. So I was like, that's, yeah, when you, when you boil it down like that, that's like, Yeah. That's a very interesting thing that's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, then back on Madrona, so Roham and Princess Lamore and everybody else come out and have to yell at Jack and Daniel because of the storm that's happening. There's just so much when they have to yell constantly as they're talking to each other. And that, you know, Jack and Daniel claim that, you know, 
we, we don't have the touchstone yet, but we're working on it. We just need to send this thing through and it'll like track it down. And the Madronans still think they're lying, but they kind of still have to trust them, even though they think they're lying. And they eventually head back inside to leave Jack and Daniel to do what they need to do. So they finish hooking up with the machine that was in the big box, which I'm guessing is like a generator of some kind because they need to like overload it with power is what's happening. So I'm going to go with it, some kind of generator to the gate and Daniel goes to dial the DHD and then back on earth, Sam and Hammond are in the control room watching over things. And we see the chevrons on the gate sort of like flicker, but like they don't really light up and there's no wormhole. So yay, it worked. And we confirm that the MELP is back on Earth. And so Sam turns on the camera. But it's unfortunately too dark to see where exactly it is. So they're going to try triangulating its location using only one satellite, which you need three satellites to triangulate something. Hence, it's named triangulation. But <laughs> I didn't know why she didn't try doing that first, too. I know. Um, okay, let's GPS where it is, because that's the benefit of doing that. Yeah. But also, she said, like, the MELP has GPS on it. So, I don't know. But, um, so anyway, they don't get a chance to complete the triangulation because somebody shoots it and they lose the tracking. So, that that's not so great. Jack and Daniel are back from Madrona and some, Sam tells them the not-so-great news that they weren't able to get the exact location, but she was at least able to trek it to southern Utah. And Hammond has one last saver he can try and call in to maybe try and get a more specific location for this thing. So we then get to see Hammond dressed in civilian clothing, who goes to meet with a guy named Whitlow in a park. And they take a little walk, and Hammond asks him about the gate and the weather device. Unfortunately, Whitlow doesn't know anything about either of those. Like, he he really, really wishes he did, because he would really like to get this IOU off his back that apparently he owes to Hammond. But he Which just, I would love to know what it is. No, Like, what happened between these two? I want to know. <laughs> what marker uh, are you calling in? <laughs> but, like, but he just, he doesn't. Whatever Hammond is asking about, he just, he doesn't know. And so Hammond's like, okay, have you heard about anything strange happening at Nellis? And the guy's like, there's always something strange happening at Nellis. That's where Area 51 is. And then Hammond's like, how about Southern Utah? And he's like, Southern Utah? <laughs> Wait a minute, actually. I Wait a minute. I did just get a requisition for a C-5 plane for a pickup at an area just south of the Black Mountains, 40 kilometers west of Parowan and I decided to look this area up on Google Maps and yeah there's like nothing out there so it is like the perfect place for a secret military base. Ooh, maybe there is. Maybe. I have a question for you. <gasps> Can you tell me in what prior episode the C5 plane was mentioned? Oh man, well, I, I, I already... it wasn't season 2 and not that long ago. I was going to say, um, being that we previously have already established that I don't even remember things exactly. that we have already rewatched, I got yes. nothing. You want to take this stab while it gets in the dark? Would it help if I give you the full name of the plane? Maybe. It is the Lockheed C-5 Galaxy. Oh, is that the fake plane he was talking about? In which episode? The the one with the stuff, the thing, where I first meet, <laughs> where I first meet Carter's dad. Secrets. 
The C5 galaxy is the plane that Jack gives the, the reporter when he overheard that conversation between Jack and Sam. So you got it right. Stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I didn't do any sort of fun fact stuff about the C5 galaxy, but we act because we actually see it later in this episode. Would you like to know some fun facts about the C5 galaxy airplane? Absolutely. So the first flight of the C5 galaxy was on June 30th, 1968. The C5 galaxy's development development was very complicated, including significant cost overruns, and Lockheed suffered significant financial difficulties during the production of this plane. Shortly after entering service, cracks in the wings of many of the aircraft were discovered, and the C5 fleet was restricted in, like, capabilities until corrective work was completed, like, their their weight limits were lowered. Um, I think it was, like, the plane was supposed to be able to handle, like, 150% of its load capacity, but until the problem with the wings was solved, they were lowered to, like, only being allowed to carry 80% of their load capacity which is still a lot i will tell you how big this plane is and how much it can carry and it's 80 percent is still a lot but um so the current model is the c5m super galaxy uh it's got like new engines and modernized avionics designed to extend the life of the plane to beyond 20 the year 2040 oh wow so um, some specifics about this plane is uh, the cargo hold of the C-5 is one foot longer than the entire length of the Wright Brothers flight at Kitty Hawk. So the Wright Brothers flight could have happened inside the C-5. Um, wow. Okay. It uses so much fuel. Um, like this is one of those planes that quite often has to be refueled during flight. Um, and so... Because of its fuel consumption, its maintenance and reliability issues, the air crews that work on the plane have nicknamed it Fred for fucking ridiculous economic slash environmental disaster. <laughs> but it's still in use? Well, they, they fixed they fixed it, you know. Okay. I mean, it still uses a lot of fuel, but, like, most of the actual mechanical problems are, like, fine now. Um, so. It's fine, really. It's, it's fine. cool. It's quite, yeah, whatever. It's okay. Yeah. Um, its landing gear contains 28 wheels. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, the, so the cockpit is up high and then in like on the front of the plane and both the nose and aft cargo bay doors open to the full width and height of the cargo bay itself. So you can load really, really big stuff in here. Like it can hold up to. Like another plane? It can hold six. Apache helicopters. Oh, okay. Or up to five uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, which are just like big ass tanks. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, at one time. And like you can like load vehicles like side by side in it. This plane is really fucking huge. So <laughs> they're, yeah. So basically, something very big and very heavy is getting moved out of whatever is in southern Utah. Hmm, I wonder what that could be. The one made out of plastic. <laughs> well, no, that one's in Nevada. Um, They'll drive it over. <laughs> so Hammond comes back from that meeting and gives SG-1 the rundown. And Jack is just like raring to go. But I like, hold, chill, chill just a second. So since there's a few things, but 
since this place doesn't like officially exist, there shouldn't be any jurisdictional issues. But the plane is Air Force property, so that's definitely their jurisdiction. And so there's a helicopter waiting on the surface to take them to Hill Air Force Base, which is about three and a half hours north of Parowan. And then after that, they'll just, like they'll be on their own. Once they're at Hill, like SG-1's going to be on there, like no communication, nothing. Um, and then the last thing before they leave is Hammond gives Sam and Jack orders not to fire at anyone unless it is the absolute complete last resort to defend themselves because Hammond's argument is like they don't know who these people are that are going to be there and he doesn't want to like just kill people who are just following orders basically so which I like that he said that yeah I mean because you don't know what lies those people may have been told they might you know who knows what's going on let's get them you know safe and alive question them, find out what we need to know. So, yeah. Um, so SG-1 has made it to the secret base. A lot of like sneaking around and peeking around corners and through broken windows. Question. Yeah. Do you find it odd that Daniel went on purely a tactical mission? Well, it was about the Stargate. So they may have needed him for Stargate stuff. But what Stargate stuff could they possibly need him for? He's there for, like, cultural knowledge. He's part of SG-1. He is on SG-1 for when they meet new cultures, and he needs to learn about them and communicate with them. How weird is it he is on a purely tactic? It just seems so odd to me watching him, like, with a big old machine gun, like, sneaking around buildings and stuff. He just had a little pistol. He just had a little pistol. Whatever. It was very odd that he was on a tactical mission. Okay. The the one odd thing I noticed is that the one gate in the chain link chain link fence was completely unguarded and unlocked. He just like opened the gate and walked right through. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I think I was too weirded out by Danny Lehner. <laughs> I was like, this is supposed to be a super secret base. Why is there not at least like a guard watching the gate? Um but anyway, so sneaking around the building, looking through windows, looking around corners. And uh, they see in one of the buildings another large Stargate-sized crate in the middle of the room, along with a large transport truck. And there's a guy carrying, like, a sort of medium-sized metal case, which I wonder what's in that. What? SG-1 enter with weapons drawn. There's, like, two guys by the gate and one guy kneeling by the small metal box, luckily with their backs to the door, conveniently. And Jack tells them, stand up, hands in the air. One of them's like, who the hell are you? And Jack's like, you don't you need to know that. And just like orders them away from the gate. And suddenly we hear the sound of the gate dialing. And then a splash comes through the crate, destroying, you know, what was covering the wormhole. And apparently there was another guy in the back of the truck with the DHD who jumps out, makes a run for the metal box with the touchstone in it. Jack fires like at the ground around the box, like scare that guy away. So he runs and like climbs up the crate and like jumps through the wormhole. Two of the other three guys that are there turn and like jump through the gate too. But the fourth guy tries to go for the box again and Jack shoots at it some more, but accidentally question mark uh, hits the guy in the arm. And luckily that like discourages him enough that he just leaves it and jumps through the gate with everybody else. Daniel runs over to the truck, but unfortunately gets there just as the DHD turns off, so he did not get to see the address. Damn it. But 
at least they have the touchstone back. So and the gate. And the gate. They have the gate and the, and the touchstone. And the VDHD. Yes. So <laughs> why in the world didn't they just bring that DHD back to use with the other gates? There is a reason. Um hang on. Um also I have another <laughs> Another musing that popped in my head as I was watching them go to Utah to get it. I wondered to myself, like, how often they let Teal'c, like, out of the mountain to, you know, roam around and actually see Earth. Or if, like, that was his first time seeing Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So... Oh, so, okay, so it sort of happens after this episode. Apparently, the power supply of the DHD dies, like, not long after this episode. Mm. So, um, they couldn't, um, but do, 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 which gets mentioned later when we find that the Russians have it. Um, but why didn't they do that immediately? I know, I know it's out there somewhere. Um, do, 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 do. Is it some sort of signature of like this DHD goes with this gate? I mean, it could be possibly. And because I mean, we had a working computer that could dial the gate, so we didn't really need the DHD really. Um, so I guess too, maybe it's a way to make it more secure if you can't just yeah. like pushy buttons on it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, officially in canon, shortly after this episode, it runs out of power. So. Hmm. That's why we don't use it. All right. Um, all right. Uh, so back to the other. Wait, back to the other subject of do you oh. think this was Teal'c's first time in Utah? Uh, yes. Yes. I do. I keep wondering like how often they let him act, like actually go see the planet, or if he just stays in the mountain all the time. Yeah. And I sees think, Earth on TV. Yeah. I mean, I think it does get addressed at some point. I can't recall really. Like, off the top of my head right now. Um, but I'm sure you know Daniel takes him out every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe Sam takes him to a sports bar, introduces him to beer. See, I want to yeah. see that stuff. I, I, I know, want... me too. That's what fanfic is for. Mm, all right. So, yeah. True. Okay. Um, okay, so... We have everything we need, so Eshiwan head back to Madrona with the touchstone, and there's more yelling that, yes, we have the touchstone! We can turn off the blizzard now! Um, so uh, they they give the touchstone back, Roham does his little thing, uh, and um, like the, the touchstone like starts to glow, and the device sends out these little like glowy things from itself, and the weather starts to like, calm. Yay! And so Princess Lamora goes and puts it back in the statue's hand and peace will be restored between Madrona and the SGC. So yay, all is well. Yay. Yay. Episode's not quite done though. So back in the briefing room to wrap everything up, uh, there is still no word on who did this. Hammond is being completely shut out of everything related to this great so this is something that might happen again and like no it is not going to happen again because the second gate is having an iris permanently welded to it and it will be kept under guard of sgc personnel it will be under hammond's control and sg1 will be there to see it being locked away for good this time so 
Bracket Area 51, we see SG-1, Hammond, Reynolds, and Mayborn are all there as the iris is getting welded into place. And we get one last lovely little exchange between Jack and Mayborn, where Jack goes, this puts you out of a job, Mayborn. And Mayborn goes, oh, you'd be surprised. Strange things happen in high places, Colonel. And Jack goes, don't I know it. And Mayborn goes, people get reassigned. So does property. Artifacts get misplaced. Orders changed. Every day is a new day. The mm. end. So, yeah. So that was Touchstone. Uh, how many memos do you got for us this week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, apparently all of the memos this week could be written in invisible ink, <laughs> crumpled up, thrown away, and then burned. Yes. Into secret, top secret, double secret, probation, secrecy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think the only uh, memo I have for this week is put a bell on the Stargate. <laughs> um, offer to relocate people whose planet is being destroyed because of things the SGC has done. Quote unquote. Quote the SGC. Quote unquote has done. Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad thing to do. I mean. Yeah. Have... I mean, maybe they offered and the Madronin said no, possibly, but. I, I don't know why they would. I don't know. Didn't we discuss before having like, you know, a third yeah. party kind of off site, second yeah. site for not really, you know, like the beta site, but, you know, like an off an extra place, which can in these situations be used for housing people. Yeah. Basically like a safe house, a yeah. safe house, a planet kind of thing. Yeah. Definitely. Then, then the situation would be raised if, like, how often do we do this to people where we need to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> do we really do this often enough that we need a place to relocate people to? <laughs> then the oh. answer would be yes. Have you yes. seen how many times we have almost ruined other planets? Yes. 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 Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, episode title, I think we know why this episode is called Touchstone. Um, but decided to look into like the meaning of touchstone, both like sort of literally and metaphorically and all that stuff, because touchstone like is a specific thing, but is also used metaphorically a lot. There's three main definitions in the dictionary for touchstone. Uh, the first is a fundamental or quintessential part or feature. Uh, second one is a test or criterion for determining the quality or genuineness of a thing. And the third is a black salacious stone related to flint that is used to test the purity of gold and formerly silver by like the streak that is left on the stone when it is rubbed by the metal. Um, so my last question to you is who do you think made the touchstone? What alien race do you think it is? Oh, well, okay. So if it wasn't the Madrona people, Someone had to have teach them how to use it, though, yeah? So it wasn't like they just happened upon it and found it. Right. Hmm. I don't know. Are we going with the ancients? Apparently, the common theory is fandom is that it was made by the furlings. Oh, do we actually know who the furlings are? No, we never meet the furlings. But, oh. uh, so it's sort of, like, been retconned that it was the furlings because in season six there is an episode where we do find furling artifacts and it is the touchstone is of a similar design to the artifacts that are found in that episode in season six 
go. All right. Yes. All right. We don't. We don't ever know who the furlings are. No, we never meet the furlings. Which we don't even know who the furlings are until next week. <laughs> so jumping the gun a little bit there, but uh, yeah. All right, that's all I got for this week. Any last questions, comments, concerns? How are we doing? How are we feeling about this one? You know, I liked it. I did like it. I definitely did not remember it. That was okay. That was good. Like okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Want to know? I I definitely want to know, and I'm sure there was fan fiction written on it on the the favor that Hammond called in with his friend to find yeah. out about the plane. Yeah. What? I'm sure that's out there somewhere. <laughs> The early life of Hammond's military career. Oh. There's there's the series of young Hammond. There's yes. the series that we need. That could be that could be definitely something. Yes. I'd be here for that. Yeah. All right. Uh well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for the fifth race.